Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter uh, 6 is going to be where our, our text is for this morning. Uh, good to see everybody. I know I've got to see you already. Um, but it, it's absolutely good to, to be here. And this text is just, man, it's just so good, folks. So one of my favorite paintings of Jesus walking on water was done by this guy. He is, uh, his name is Julius von Clever. And he is known as the Russian Rembrandt, which I love Rembrandt. And he does a lot of these kinds of, of painted landscapes that are beautiful. He painted this one in 1880. Uh, and he's still very sought after his, his artwork. But what I, what I love about this particular painting is the fact that, that Jesus, the, the sun, is the focus of Jesus. It's the brightest part of the painting. And everything after that, it just kind of flows off of that in its brightness down to its most dim colors. And, and I love the fact that even though Jesus is on the chaotic waters, that, that he's calm, that he doesn't look anxious. And it's, it's our text this morning that gave the inspiration for this particular painting. So let's just dive into it this morning. We're going to start in verses 45 and 46. And it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So all of this is going on, and it's coming off of what we talked about last week in Jesus feeding the multitudes. But it's also what's been building is this contrast that just has happened of these two banquets. One is of Herod, and his banquet. You remember it? It, it was, uh, and by the way, this is uh, taking place, or they sent them off to Bethsaida, by the way. But there's this first banquet, and the first banquet, uh, I don't have any original pictures of that day, uh, but, but the first banquet was it, was, it was in a palace. It was made by this wannabe king. There's... Um, you know, immorality, there's conniving, there's scheming. They invite only the elite of society. And everybody at that banquet, and we're not going to take time to look at it, but everyone at that banquet, they had their own agenda. And it was all about themselves. Jesus comes back and he contrasts with his banquet out in a wilderness. And he invites everyone to come. And rather than seeing people as to what they can do for him, Jesus looks at them with compassion. And we know that everyone left that day and they were, they were uh, enjoying this overflow of satisfaction of God's blessing. Jesus is the bread of life. He, he feeds them not only physically, but he's there for them spiritually. That's really what this whole thing is about. And the point is that the kingdoms of our world, they do not satisfy. 
even the most moralistic countries that will even stamp on their currency, in God we trust, we find scandals and ego and pride and violence. And we can say, well, it, didn't, it wasn't like that several years ago. Yes, it was. We just forget. And we forget what the internet and social media <laughs> lets us know every little detail. But these things have always been a part of things. The kingdom that Jesus is setting up is not based on worldly ideals. And yet the crowd, including the disciples, they struggled to understand it. And it's just like we struggle to understand it when, when we seek out uh, spiritual satisfaction from a government or from leaders. Jesus, after he dismisses these crowds, and by the way, it's forceful. You see that. If you really look at the language itself, he makes them get into a boat. He forces them so he can dismiss the crowd. And then he goes up to a mountain to pray. Three times in Mark, we're told Jesus went up and he went away from everyone else to pray. All three of those times comes right after his disciples failed to understand his mission. And I think it's important for us to see Jesus and to follow that example when we too are tempted. When we're tempted to, to follow along more in a, a materialistic type of government or kingdom rather than really seeking the will of God in our lives. And Mark is just trying his best to show us the differences between those kingdoms. And we're going to see how all of this pans out even in the end. So let's get into the real heart of things. Beginning in verse 47. And when evening came... The boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. <laughs> there is so much going on here, folks. How about the fact that Jesus is up on the mountain in, in the darkness and I believe it's absolutely supernatural. And he sees his disciples that are struggling out on the sea. Now, this you need to understand, this is a little bit different than the last time that they were stuck in a storm. In that one, they thought they were going to die. Whoops. They thought that they were going to die. This one, that you don't see that, that type of panic. But they've been out there, and there's these winds, and no doubt these high waves... And it's like they've paddled and paddled and paddled, and they can't get to where they need to go. They, it, probably they're struggling even to get to shore because it's between, the fourth watch is between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay, to give you that perspective here. So Jesus comes to them walking on top of the water. On top of the water. The disciples, even though they were battling this, 
this thing between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, it doesn't say they were terrified until they saw Jesus. And it's because they thought Jesus was a ghost. Because the Jewish concept was that's where you saw ghosts. It's out on water. But Jesus isn't a ghost. Jesus is the Son of God. Only God is a water walker. In the book of Job, we read this fantastic thing about our Father. And it says, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Get it? Trampled? He walks the waves of the sea. Behold, he passes by me. And I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive it. Folks, if you were to look at it in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, what was known as the Septuagint, it was around in the time of Christ, you find the exact same words being used with what Jesus is doing in walking on the water. You see, Jesus does what only God can do. In fact, the Job passage, it's about a contrast between between the Almighty God and humanity to show us this is, these are our differences. We are not God. But here Jesus shows that He is God. He does what God can do. He's the one who forgives sins. He's the one who calms nature. But did you also notice it says that Jesus passed by them or wanted to pass by them that sounds strange to you? I mean, what's he doing? I mean, is Jesus like, is he showboating? You know? It's like, not only can I walk, I'm going to walk right past y'all. What's he doing here? And it's bizarre. And, and again, we find this word in that Septuagint that I talked about twice in the Old Testament. One of those times was Moses. And this is right after the golden calf and all the stuff that had transpired. And Moses says, show me your glory. I, I am so, I'm so disillusioned. Please, show me your glory. And so God says, I will come and I will pass before you. And he declared his name, which is also his identity, in that he's merciful and gracious and he's slow to anger and he abounds in this steadfast love, this grace of God. The other time is when Elijah is on the run from, uh, from Jezebel. You remember that story in 1 Kings? And he's discouraged. He wishes that he would die. And so he has him come to, God has him come to his mountain and he brings him out of the cave. And he passes by him to declare who he is. Jesus passes by these disciples. They still don't know that he is the Son of God. And did you notice what he does say? I mean, they're terrified. And he says there, look, he says, take heart. It is I... Do not be afraid. That phrase, it is I, literally means I am. Oh, yeah, see, already a bell's ringing inside. 
Remember Moses? God sent him to deliver his people. And he says, well, why do I tell them if they ask me what your name is? And he says, you tell them this. I am who I am. Same word. Jesus is doing his best to show them he is God who passes before them. He, the water walker comes and he says, I am. You see this? Jesus is answering the disciples' question from the first storm. Remember when he calms it? And they say, who is this? Who is this? Who can control nature? And Jesus says, I am. Is there anything else Jesus could have done to show them that he's God? Oh, yeah, he steps in the boat and the whole thing ceases. <laughs> you know, they are just out of their mind over this. Can you imagine seeing somebody walk on water? This is crazy. Let's see. Let me show the, their reaction. Verse 51. Let's. The latter part of verse 51 says, and they were utterly astonished. See, I told you. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Ooh, that escalated quickly, didn't it? They're astounded, but yet we see they're hard-hearted. This is supposed to be the in-group, right? And it has something to do with the feeding of the 5,000. And that's confusing. What, what does all this have to do? And it shows us, folks, just because one sees a miracle. And, and a lot of people in our world, if I see a miracle, I will believe. Just because somebody sees a miracle, just because somebody is with Jesus and hears Jesus, it does not mean they will have saving, genuine faith. There's a difference in believing that Jesus walks on water and the fact that he is the Son of God. Not many in here would deny the validity of Jesus walking on water. There are some out there, religious skeptics. Even those within the religious community, I think it was Albert Schweitzer that said, you know, it's all a mirage, Jesus was walking on a sandbar. I don't believe that. But here's the thing, just believing that he walked on water, that's not enough either. This was a manifestation of God. This type of thing only occurred on mountains normally. But here Jesus is doing it where? On the chaotic waters. Jesus is not a superhero, folks. He is not, a, uh, you know, a great prophet. He's the son of God. That's what we're supposed to see here. Not just to be amazed that Jesus walks on water. We learn something about ourselves in all of this. The disciples show us what it's like when humanity experiences the divine. And what has that experience been so far? They've been terrified. And we often think, oh no, I'd never be terrified of God. That's because you haven't ever seen Jesus walk on water. That's because you haven't seen the manifestations that God has done. They are seeing an essence of God that others have not seen. 
And it is terrifying. And folks, we often, we see God as something, as, as just something that is our, our, our friend or someone who's just as some, someone who is great and all of this. But folks, if you are in the presence and the great power of God, it will terrify you if you don't understand who he is. They're in God's presence, and while they don't understand that he is the Son of God, they know his power is not human, and they are scared to death. They didn't get it, and we rarely recognize God when he comes walking past us. Maybe it's, it's some storm, some major wind in your own life over the years. Maybe you're in it right now. You know, you got fired from your job. Big layoffs. Or, or maybe your, your spouse left you for someone else. Or, or maybe you were diagnosed with cancer. Well, we've heard that word a lot around here. And at the time... It's difficult. In fact, it's terrifying. If we want to put it out there in human terms, that's what it is. And yet we can look back sometimes later on and we can realize and, and we wonder, you know, at the time, is God really with it? Why would God allow this? And then we see God was with us the whole time. We just didn't recognize him passing by. And for some, it may be they got a less stressful job. For others, they may have ended up finding a godly spouse. For another, it, it may be that the cancer that they went through, as awful as it was, they are closer to God than they ever have in their lives, and they would not really understand who God is and, and who he is for their lives had they not experienced this. Before coming here, I... I didn't know about my future in preaching. I've mentioned this before. Just to put it plainly, I hated ministry. And I, because I couldn't believe that Christians, we'll call them that, Christians could, could act so vile to each other, to my family personally. How leaders could be conniving deceitful and I'll just tell you just evil and I came here with the thought okay if this happens here if this happens again I'm done with ministry I don't know what I'll do I prayed the Psalms I unloaded on God just as the psalmist teaches me to do I let God know what I thought about his church. I wondered why God would, would do this to us. Here I am 10 years later. And I can look back and I can see that God was with me the whole time. When I stepped into this church, not knowing it at the time, Jesus stepped into the boat and, and the winds began to cease. 
healing began. And I can tell you that I wouldn't be the minister I am here and for you had I not gone through and battled the winds. I've learned a lot. I have a new perspective on things. And I'm here to tell you that, that God's not finished with me yet. There's, 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 still, there's still, you know, winds and waves that I'm battling. My back issues, it's getting close to three years. It's made me appreciate the things, things that I took for granted. People, such as my wife, and how much I appreciate, I mean, just, you just can't believe. And at times I felt like I've been rowing in the wind, you know what I mean? I just feel like I'm getting nowhere with doctors and shots and medications and, and, and pain. And I really try not to complain because here's, here's something I realize. And here's something as you go through storms, you realize that one storm, it makes you stronger for the next one. I realize how blessed I am. Did you know Friday afternoon at 4.30, Kurt, Susan, and Fernando, are they in here? I don't know. I didn't know if I... Oh, there, there's Susan. And, and, and uh, Liddell and his son Caleb, they showed up at my house to put, on, to put the boards on my house. That's not something I've had to worry about. But they came and they did that. And it just shows me God's passing by you, Tracy. Just open your eyes. God's looking after you. The water walker is with me. He sees me in the storm and he comes to me. And get this, Jesus shows patience when we fail to see his presence walking among us. You see that in the text? Jesus doesn't just get this strong rebuke. He doesn't say, you know what? Y'all just deal with the storm. Walk off. Jesus says, it is I. Don't be afraid. So we come to the next part. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people to, on their beds to whoever they heard he was, wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. That's the tassels that Jews had on the bottom end. And as many as touched it, it says they were made well. I don't know if you caught this, but Jesus sent them to Bethsaida. Look again, where'd they end up? Gennesaret. <laughs> Mark doesn't tell us why. But he does tell us that those people, they believed that Jesus could heal them. They didn't understand Jesus was the Son of God, not yet. 
But here's what's happening. Those disciples who still didn't know who this Jesus is, who walks on top of the water, that he just continues to demonstrate his power and his works before them. He doesn't give up on them. Isn't that great? And God doesn't give up on us either. And if we'll just open our eyes, we'll see God's presence that just continues to pass before us every day in our lives. Just listen to the stories. And that also means we need to tell others. You know, we sing this song, said I wasn't going to tell anybody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. Well, we really need to adopt that. People need to see and understand God's presence in our lives. The compassion of Jesus has fed and satisfied and healed these crowds. But the question is, will they discover the true purposes behind his message and his healings? Will they understand that these things are not simply to amaze them, but rather to show that he is the redeemer? That he's the one who's come to save them from themselves. The physical blessings, folks, they were not an end in themselves. There is a fork in the road at these miracles. And we have our choice, okay? At that fork, and this is where I believe Christians or disciples are. Okay, disciples, followers of Jesus. Here's the fork. We either go to the way and we read these things and we are simply amazed at Jesus as a miracle worker or we see him as the demonstration of those things as the one who has come to save us. Because believing in those two things are totally different. Because that means I believe that he has come to heal me of my sins. I believe there's judgment and that he's come to save me. All of those who want to come to him. But all of us have the fork in the road. All of us have to make a decision what we find here. We can either just be amazed that Jesus walks on water or we can look at this in awe of the one who is the water walker who has the ability to save us. Jesus' rule over the wind and the sea and over the bread and the fish, it anticipates what the Jews believed was going to come to all the world. And when Mark tells us that, uh, reveals the divine, this is what we find, when he reveals the divine as he does here, he also is revealing this tremendous mystery. The authority humanity had over the natural world and creation, it has been lost. It's been lost by our sinfulness, by sin and by rebellion. And it's okay to be astonished, Jesus walking on water. But we're invited to see a dimension of our world that is, that is normally unseen. That's what Jesus is, is demonstrating to us. The world's rightful king has returned. Jesus is the last Adam. And he invites us to come and to see. 
But where are we in the fork in the road? How do we see this Jesus who walks on water? We've got to see him more than a miracle worker. And that means we've got to see him as the one that we are in awe of and we know we must bow down before him. And that we've got to repent of of our own sinfulness. We've got to turn from those things in our lives to confess Jesus is the Son of God. And as we come to the waters, we pass through the waters. And Jesus, in baptism, He brings us out on the other side, just as in the Red Sea, brings us out on the other side, delivered. Delivered from our slavery and our bondage to our sinfulness. But it's going to take us saying, I am mine no 